Hey, good morning. It's good to see you all. Good to see you guys came back. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and a little bit about redemption. We are one church, and we have multiple congregations. Uh, we have six other congregations that meet in the valley, and then we meet here in, in Tempe. Uh, We believe all of life is all for Jesus, and therefore we seek to make disciples in response to that truth. If you want to learn more about redemption and how you can be connected or how you can be involved or any questions you have regarding redemption, uh, best thing you can do is take the information card that's in the seat in front of you and fill out your name, your email address, or any questions you have regarding uh, redemption. We'd love to get back to you, and you can drop those cards off in the offering boxes, which would be located in the back by the doors, and you have an opportunity to do that after the message. Uh, I just got a couple of announcements before we get into God's Word this morning. Uh, the first announcement is next week is Mother's Day, and as we said with Mother's Day, we're going to have baby dedications. So if you're going to be dedicating your child uh, and you want to dedicate your child before the church and before the Lord, if you would take the information card and put your name, your email address, and just write baby dedication on there, we will get that from you. You can drop that card off in the offering boxes, or you can go to uh, the connect desk and leave it there, and then we will give you the information that you need, and then we'll ask for the information that we'll need from you, um, name of your child, and a beautiful picture of your baby that we can put up there so everyone can go, ah, it's really a, uh, a good moment for all of us. And so again, that's next week. Also with Mother's Day, we've done this the past two years, is that we've had people that were um, willing to take pictures. We have a lot of people that are photographers in our congregation, um, and they're good at taking pictures, and they donate their time, and we're able to give pictures to families with their mothers on Mother's Day. Um, last two years, what people have said is, man, I wish you'd have let us know this because I would have probably wore something better today, all right? So we're letting you know that now. So next week, bring your mom. If your mom doesn't go to this church, bring her here. If she goes to another church, tell her to stop going to that church, come to this church. And then, um, that's not, that's not, that's not right. But, um, <laughs> Take pictures with her uh, after the service. Be a good opportunity to have the whole family to take a picture of you. We want to be able to give that to you as a gift. Uh, and so anyways, that's next week. Um, that's all I have for announcements. If you guys have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. That's where we're going to be- begin today. Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of uh, God's Word. Uh, raise them high. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, please keep the copy we're handing out so that you can own God's Word, you can have it to read it, understand it, uh, study it, and grow in it. Uh, If this is your first time joining us, we are week five into a series looking at the book of Romans. Uh, Romans is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church that's in Rome uh, to a group of people that he had not yet met. So far, Paul has been talking about the good news of Jesus in the beginning of chapter 1, and then in chapter, verse 18, all the way to verse 32, really chapter 3, verses 19, Paul begins to talk about bad news. So three weeks ago, we talked about the wrath of God as it's being revealed. Last week, we started a conversation on homosexuality, which we said this week we'd come and we'd wrapped up that conversation. So, so last week was a theology of homosexuality, and then this week is uh, an attitude or a posture as Christians in response to uh, homosexuality. And, and we said that these three weeks, wrath and homosexuality, were easily going to be the hardest weeks for us in Romans, preferably more likely myself in Romans, and, and it has been. And so um, to say that I can't wait for this week to be over is an understatement. Um, at the same time, it's just needed. We said that one of the reasons why we wanted to go through uh, two weeks of homosexuality is that we couldn't unpack it in one sermon. And so what I, what I said last week is, hey, we're going to teach about this for about 40 minutes, and then next week we'll come back. I went online afterwards to listen to my sermon to critique myself, and I saw that it was an, an hour and three minutes. The longest sermon I've ever taught before. And so I said I'd do 40, we did longer. Today we're going to do 35 minutes. Plus 30. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> to answer some questions. Uh, so, uh, also, we said it, we, wanted to, we wanted to walk through it because it's where we are in Romans chapter 1. It came up in the text. There's a lot of things that come up biblically that we can't wait to talk about. And there's a lot of things that come up biblically that we're like, uh, I wish we could have, you know, passed on this. Or I would have gotten sick and had somebody else teach that day. Um, but that didn't happen. And so, we've been teaching on this. The second thing we said is it's cultural. Like, it's something that's, that's relevant now. At the 7 o'clock service last week, I said, you know, we've looked at, and our experience and what we see is not all the time, but many times, many men um, that uh, struggle with same-sex attraction or are homosexual are usually more artistic, creative, and so forth. And I said, but the day is coming when, 
when macho men, so to say, will come out and say, hey, I awesome gay. The next morning, we all woke up and saw that Jason Collins was gay. Before then, no one knew who Jason Collins was. He's an NBA player, but he's not very good. So no one even knew him. And then all of a sudden, he comes out. Everybody knows the name Jason Collins. Ellen calls him up. Hey, congratulations. President Obama's like, hey, you weren't that good at basketball, but congratulations. And it's just like, man. So no matter what you think about uh, his decision or not, it was like national news, not just for jocks. It was for everybody uh, um, that that last week. And so it was interesting uh, just the timing of it all. But um, here's what we're going to do for today. I'm going to recap what we talked about last week and then talk about, give us a posture in which we can uh, engage the culture. And then from there, it's going to seem like a disconnect because it kind of is. I sent an email address up last week so you guys can email your questions in. And we took those questions and put them together. um, And they're going to pop them on the screen. We're going to answer those questions. And then we'll come uh, take communion. So uh, first, a recap. Romans chapter 1 to 3. Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, and 3, what we've said is Paul is not singling out homosexual sin. He's not saying, okay, let's talk about the worst sin that's ever been, and then he lists homosexuality. Not at all. Paul is not trying to offend homosexuals. What we said is Paul is trying to offend everybody. Um, there's no one in, in, that's in the history of the universe that Paul's not trying to offend at this moment. And we said at the very end of the list, of which homosexuality is the beginning of this vice list, there's all sorts of sins. Um, there's foolishness, there's faithlessness, there's heartless, they're ruthless. We said um, people who disobey their parents, and we're like, like, Paul is trying to get everyone, kids included. Like, if you didn't make up your bed, you're on this list. We, we, we looked at that. Like, Paul is just saying every single person born into this world by nature and by choice are, are, don't worship God. And because of that, the wrath of God is being revealed. Um, homosexuality just happened to be on the list. And what we concluded with is saying, we need to understand a biblical worldview. Meaning, we have to understand a worldview that is at odds with the worldview of which is pervasive in our culture. The worldview that are being taught at our universities, that have been taught in our public schools, the ones that we naturally catch just by being humans in America. And that particular worldview is a macroevolutionary worldview. And with that, you have a macroevolutionary cosmology, which is the way that you view the universe. And with that view of the universe, it frames everything in what you can see. And um, so the physical world, thus the physical self. Now, the reasoning from there, if you take that to its conclusion, that means our epistemology, how we know things, um, will be reduced to only the physical self. And so we are only what science tells us we are, just biological beings with biological appetites. Therefore, when we frame the question of humanity, it, we are our bodies. And we said, that's limited. Because the same people who would argue for that worldview would say that Christianity is limited, that it's a straitjacket, and that God himself is forbidding us to do things that bring pleasure. We said, well, sexuality and sex in itself is not the only thing that brings pleasure. In fact, it's not the highest degree of pleasure. But what we see is in a biblical worldview of which God created this world and knows its design and therefore calls for flourishing, uh, delight, um, and wholeness, and beauty in the way that he designed it, we are not just our bodies, but we're also mind as well as soul. And if you take the spiritual realm out of thinking about life and people and humanity, then you take away what it means to be human, created in the image of God. That though even sin entered into this world, that the same God created, came in the personal work of Christ Jesus to redeem it and bring joy and put forth his world back to the way it's supposed to be. That's the Christian worldview. And so when we look at humanity, we say we are more than our sexual appetites. And God has a way and he's the authority. And he has authority. And so when we come to Romans chapter 1, and it begins to talk about homosexuality, last week we said it's sin to practice homosexuality not because it's gross, not because it's wrong in our eyes, not because it's politically wrong, not because it's always been wrong. it's, it's, It's a sin because it's inconsistent and in rebellion against the way God designed the world to flourish for beauty. And so that's what Paul is talking about, that sin in the list of other sins. And and we unpacked it from there. This week, we're saying, okay, so that's where the Bible says, that's the theology of, and we have this worldview. What about us now and how we have an attitude and a posture towards the homosexual community? And so I I wish I had a diagram here, but the way that sin worked when you look at the very beginning of the Bible, 
First, we were separated from God. Adam and Eve didn't know, they didn't know God anymore the way that they had the relationship previously with him. And then they separated from each other. They hid from each other and they put fig leaves on. And then they begin to, so you have God, you have relationships, and then you have the physical world. There's death now into the world. People die, people get sick, and so forth. And then you have culture in itself. The conversation we're having now is, how do we now, in the gospel, in response to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, as people who are Christian, I acknowledge that everybody in the room is Christian, but those of us who are Christian, how do we stand as witnesses to the culture around us, and particularly the homosexual culture? And there's three things that I think that is important for us to have. And that is we have to understand our mission, we have to understand our motive, and we have to understand our methods. We have to understand our mission, we have to understand our motive, and we have to understand our methods. If we're going to start with mission, our mission has to be shaped theologically. And so in verses 18 through 32, as Paul lays down these sins, um, we have to say, what is response to this? But before we can do that, just to frame the the conversation, would you read with me um, in verse 26, where we started last week? For this reason, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Like, you, you get Paul's point right, right? He's like, any, everybody. Then he finally wraps it up and says, though they do not know God's rights, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And we say, okay, that's, that's, that's a part of the story. That there's bad news because we don't listen to God, we don't worship God. But, but what do we, in response to the good news that Paul does lay out and the Bible lays out in Christ, how do we respond? Like, how, what's our posture, particularly when it comes to the homosexual community? Now, I would tell you this. In response to my message last week, I've never, never in my eight years or whatever, seven years been in ministry, received as many emails as I did over one message. I mean, literally one message and meeting after meeting and setting up more meetings. And I'm sure there's going to be more emails because this, this conversation, it gets personal. It gets really personal, and we all know someone or related to someone, work with someone who is um, a practicing homosexual, or we ourselves struggle with same-sex attraction orientation. We're saying we need help uh, because we don't really know what to do. And so I, I want to just, one, say I understand the, the, um, the, the depth of this and, and also understand that we as Christians— for the most part, historically, have not had the best posture towards this. And so um, as we walk through this, um, I want us as Christians in this room to be thinking, okay, who are the people, um, who could be the people in which God is calling me to live out this mission with this motive and these methods? Uh, But first, we have to clarify the mission. We have to clarify the mission. When we respond and say, okay, here's homosexual sin. We see it. Here's homosexuals. How do we love them? How do we embrace them? One, our mission is really simple. It is to preach and proclaim the name and fame of Jesus Christ. That's it. To preach and proclaim the name and fame of Jesus Christ. And so that preaching of Jesus is not just us talking about Jesus, but it's embodying Jesus. That to be a Christian and to be on God's mission, if it's to be biblically informed, it's not our mission. It's the mission in which he has called us to. Jesus says in John 21, 20, 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I now send you. So we are sent in workplaces and neighborhoods and families to be God's people in this particular place. And it is to talk about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and to let that gospel, that good news, shape and form our entire beings. Um, that's it. That's a simple mission, that we are to be bearers of good news in Christ Jesus in his coming kingdom. Now, here's what's not the mission. The mission is not to win a theological debate. It's not to win a theological conversation. There are places for that. 
There are times for us to definitely have good arguments biblically, um, to talk about Scripture for sure. I'm not saying that we don't, but to try just to win the argument or the, to make a point as opposed to make a difference is not our primary mission. What, what, what happens with people is people will try to just win the argument, and it's never winsome to the community around us. I, I've shared this story with you before. There's a good friend of mine, Adrian. Him and I, we get together, and we talk about our worldviews back and forth. And, and one time, this is probably a year and a half, maybe even two years ago now, we were, we were sitting down, and we we're talking, and he goes, here's the thing. Because your worldview does f- seem beautiful. And I, and I get you're poking holes in my worldview. I'm trying to poke holes in yours. But the reason why I don't want to believe yours, Ricardo, is it just seems like you want to be right. And every time, the whole, like, all the years that I've known you, you've always wanted to be right. And I don't want to believe it because I don't want, I don't want you to be right. And I thought, dang. But, I'm, but admit it. I'm right, right? right? <laughs> I, I, I had to take a step back. He was Right. Because the whole time I'm talking about this beautiful flourishing of this creator and his name is Jesus and, and how great he is. But the whole time I'm like, get it. Like, don't, like you know, like we're going to fight if you don't get this. And it, my personality and my issues got in the way of him saying, hey, I really want to think about this. But the whole time I'm thinking, how can I make sure Ricardo's not right? So listen, our mission is not to win, win, win the battle, or <laughs> the cultural battle, cultural war, or the argument. Our mission is to proclaim Jesus. Theology will shape that, and it should always shape and inform that. Also, our mission is not to convert people of homosexuality to, to, to having heterosexual relationships. Um, hear me on that. Some people think if you can get someone who struggles with same-sex attraction or someone who's a homosexual to just be attracted to the opposite sex, then, then the, the history, I mean, you're done. The, the battle's over. That doesn't make any sense. Like somehow being straight makes you okay. Well, every straight person in this room goes, that ain't true, right? Like, you know what? I like the opposite sex. I look at myself in the mirror and go, I'm jacked up. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I need Jesus, right? Like that doesn't cure it. Like somehow like that, that can't be the cure. And you've heard people say that before. Um, and, and I've heard people say like, yeah, this is what my friend said. This is what my doctor said. This is what my dad said. If you could just somehow be attracted to a woman or somehow be attracted to a man, how do you know that somehow having um, sexual relations with the opposite sex is going to cure it? That you're going to go, whoa, that was amazing, right? Like never am I going back. No, no, that, that, that. Maybe true, but it's, it's not something that deals with the vertical relationship. And so we have to understand um, what we need. People's problem is not their sexuality. Those are symptoms. Our problem is not our lying or whatever our issues may be. That's a symptom of a bigger problem. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. And, and in fact, here, here, here's a quote from Cy Rogers. He's got a very interesting story. Um, and he says this, Christians kept getting my sexuality confused with my problem which was I need, that I needed a savior. The reason I'm now a Christian isn't because somebody argued theology. It isn't because I was tired of that life or unhappy with it. It's all I knew. The reason why I would dare to face a future I could not imagine without everything that mattered to me is because I found the one thing that mattered more, and I wanted that. See, I wanted Jesus. A, 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 a theology, theological argument wasn't going to be it, um, and even just being with the opposite sex wasn't going to be it. Uh, Rosario Butterfield, who I shared last week, I, I heard quotes even better when she talks about that sexual sin can't be healed with sex. She says this, healing to the sexual sinner is death. Nothing more, nothing less. I think that too many young Christian fornicators plan that marriage will redeem their sin. Too many young Christian masturbators plan that marriage will redeem their patterns. And too many young Christian pornographers think that having legitimate sex will take away their desire for illicit sex. They're wrong. And the marriages that result from this line of thinking are dangerous places, I know. Why, are, why over 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce? Because Christians act as though marriage redeems sin. Marriage does not redeem sin. Only Jesus himself can do that. That's, that's massively important. Not only just for the homosexual community. We said this last week, our singles. What we do sometimes when we, when we talk about marriage is when we make marriage, we make like the, the essential part of marriage is sexual intimacy. And it's not the essential part. Love is the essential part. That you give yourself to the other person. It's a covenantal relationship. There are many people in our congregation, and as the older we get, even more people, that you're, you know what, sex is going to be taken away because of some reason. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe it's a, it's a sickness, but it's going to be taken away. Are you then going to say, you know what, this marriage is never what it used to be? No. 
When you sit down with men and women who've been married for years, they don't sit down and go, let me just tell you, uh, our sex life for the past 40 years, man, that is what's kept us together, right? As they, and they're looking at each other, <laughs> you know, that's, like, like that's, that's not it. That's more like the commercials they sell us on TV. Like that, 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 that's not it. You sit down with men and women who've been married for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Man, man, this was really hard and we lost this and we struggled, but we were there with one another. We embraced one another. Man, they're, they're more beautiful than me today because there's just a commitment and a love there. It's not necessarily sex. And then for our single people, they can also have that intimacy though they're not married because that true intimacy comes in Christ and it's developed and experienced through his church as the community of believers, whether they're married or not. So our mission within and outside is always to proclaim, preach, and embody Jesus Christ. Now the motive, the motive is love. We have to be a loving community. We have to understand what it means to be a loving community. But before we do that, we have to understand and just acknowledge that the word love has been hijacked in our culture. Like love, when, when I say love and when the Apostle Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, that's different than when we hear love in our culture. L- love now is synonymous with just being romantic, right? It's just romantic feelings. I'm emotionally drawn to someone. I love that person. Uh, love can even be uh, categorized in somewhat ways as gravity, right? Like I fall into love. And I fall out of love. It's like, man, I fell into love. Oh, fell out. Man, I fell out. It's crazy. I was in, then I was out, right? And we use that language um, that, that gets in the way. Another way is tolerance. Um, tolerance is, is, a, is a way that we use synonymous with love in our culture. And tolerance, as we said over the past weeks, it means just putting up with somebody. I don't want my wife to just put up with me. I, I want my wife to love me. And I'm sure my wife doesn't want me to just put up with her. She wants me to love her. I'm sure, I don't just want to put up with you guys. I'm going to go to our church. What can I do? Can't kick them out. It's illegal. Right? It's like, no, you want me to love you. And I, and I, want, and I want you to love me. Right? There's a, <laughs> there's, there's, there, we, we, we want people to love. And, and love in itself is what Jesus gives us. It is laying down your life for somebody. It is saying, I'm intentionally going to carve out my life for you, for you, because, because you're worth it. You too, like me, are creating the image of God. Like, this is how this thing works. God created the world out of an overflow of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they made beauty in creation, and then they made you. And then we sinned, and they sinned, and God sent Jesus Christ to redeem us. And so now, in response to that, our motive has to be true love. And true love has to flow out of the scripture. It is, it is patient, it is kind, it's all of those things. It, and it's, here's another thing. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It's just that no, one, no one wants to quote that. No one. In fact, there, there, there's, a, uh, there's a rapper who I really like. Um, his name's Macklemore. Um, he has a pretty popular song about thrift shops and stuff. He's like a white hipster Christian artist rapper. It's like an oxymoron, but he's pretty good. One of his songs that I listen to is called uh, Same Love, right? And the whole song is about uh, uh, same-sex relationships. And if you just listen to the song, right, and you take your, your, your logical thinking off, your beliefs, your values, you take a, you go, dang, he's right, man. That's, this is a good thing. And then and the backdrop of it, he's quoting 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 in love, and it's patient, and it's kind, it's long-suffering. But he doesn't get to the point where it says, it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It doesn't. And so what would be a good picture of that, right? A good picture. And we're not going to go there. I'm going to just paraphrase, paraphrase this story. In John chapter 8, there's a story of a woman that's caught in the act of adultery. I believe this gives us a great picture in Jesus' life and how we can respond to it as a church. What you have is there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. What that means is she is um, having um, uh, extramarital affairs with another man who's not her husband. Right? And so that's what's happening. And then the Pharisees and the scribes, they're like the religious people of the day. They find her. I don't know how this worked. They dragged her out, brought her to Jesus. Jesus is teaching, like, hey, Jesus, I know you're teaching, but this woman was caught in the act of adultery. We saw her. And Jesus goes, okay, what do you want me to do? And they're saying, well, the law says that a person like this should be stoned. And so the, 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 way, the way it's said is there's Jesus in the middle, there's this woman, and then there's these Pharisees, and then Jesus kind of goes and he writes in the sand for a little bit. No one knows what he wrote. And then he looks at the men um, and he says, uh, you who um, are without sin, go ahead and, and, and throw your stone. 
And it says one by one from the oldest to the youngest, which I love that it says that from the oldest to the youngest, because I think there's something about maturity where those of us who are, those of you who are older, um, there's a life. You know, you understand, yeah. And so they drop their stones and go, yeah, that ain't me, to the youngest. And then he looks at the woman, and and she gets up, and she's weeping, and and he looks at her, and he says, "Um, is there anybody here left to condemn you? And she's like, no. And he's the one without sin. He could have thrown the stone and crushed her and totally been right. And, um, and she he goes, go and sin no more. Now, here's why I picked pick this picture. It's because what you have is Jesus trying to confront both the religious and the irreligious and give us something totally different, a different paradigm, which is what the church should live out of. And when I say religious, I'm, I mean it in a very pejorative sense, in a negative sense. On the religious side, he says, this is what religion does. What religion does is it understands all the rights and wrongs, but it doesn't have some, understand the heart behind it. But there's actually a motive of love for people to for flourish and to do well. It's basically a, a list of saying, don't do this, do this. And then people who, who don't live the way that you live, make sure you get after them. But you don't even really look at your own heart. You don't even look, really look at the totality of your own sin. Unfortunately, this is what people outside of the church look at Christians. They go, you didn't even get the whole story, right? And we know historically as Christians, like, we have um, elevated homosexuality as a sin that is like, man, like, like, sure, you can get a divorce unbiblically, and you can have sex outside of marriage. We don't want you to do that. But we have groups for that. But, man, if you're gay, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. We didn't get the totality of it. And so we get placed by the culture outside of us as real religious people. But what does Jesus say to them? He shows them both grace and truth. He looks at them, and he shows them grace and the fact that part of grace is being honest. It's love. Love in love is grace and truth together. The truth was, hey— you guys are also sinners. You guys are so quick to stone this lady. What, look at you. You're a sinner, aren't you? Well, if you're not, then go ahead and do this. But those men have to go away and think about it. Wait a minute. We too are in need of forgiveness. But then he turns to the woman. And here's what many people would say. Oh, this Jesus right here. This is the tolerant Jesus. Look, look what he does. He, he punks the religious people and he scares them off. And then he gets to this, the woman and he's kind with her. You know, he, he loves her and he toler- he's very tolerant, right? Listen, Jesus is not tolerant. He's loving. He, he doesn't look at the woman and go, oh, so you were sleeping with another guy? You're not supposed to do that, right? He doesn't, he, he doesn't, no. He looks at her and he says he understands her. She understands her sin and he understands that. But he doesn't say, hey, just go away and kind of live your life, whatever you want to do, and I'll tolerate that. No. What does he say? Go and sin no more. She gets both truth and grace as well. The the posture is not to be overly religious or irreligious. And it's not to be in the middle. It's to be something totally different. That we are a countercultural people as believers in Christ Jesus. We're in the world, not of the world. Meaning we understand that there should be both in us a humility because the God of this universe died for us. We were so bad that he had to send his son to die for us. There's, there's humility there. But there's also confidence and boldness because we were so loved that he was pleased to do it. And so when we as a community begin to embody this truth, we sit in this world and we live and, and hold out intention together. Truth and grace. That's love. It's saying, I'm willing to build relationship with you no matter where you're at, no matter where your lifestyle is at, because I understand my own issues, and yet I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to compromise what my Lord and Savior says. He's given himself for me. He controls this thing. He runs this thing. So I'm going to be honest with you. And hear me, when we have this posture of love as our, as our motive, right, to loving all people, especially in the homosexual community, when we have these conversations with our family members and our friends, Be honest and carry it and embody it. Here's what I mean. Don't hide behind God. And and, and not saying don't listen to God. Don't hide behind God. An example of this would be the way sometimes you hear husbands do this. They're out with their friends. They're hanging out. And instead of just saying, hey, I need to leave. I need to go home with my wife and my kids and love them, put them to bed. And that's, you know, I'm a husband. That's what I need to do. And I'm a father. What do they say? Man, I got to go. Why? Man, you know, my wife wants me to come home and, and, uh, you know, love the kids and uh, love her. And, you know, and it's like, my wife wants this, right? You're married, Right? You're married. That's your wife. You guys are one together. And so you guys make decisions together. And don't, don't just throw her under the bus. I think sometimes what we do is when we sit down, and I've been guilty of this, when you, you, I, you know, I just get cowardly sometimes. I'm sitting down with my friends who are openly gay, and they go, how do you say this is a sin? Well, 
God says it's a man, if I'm it's God. I, you know, I'm just a follower. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's just, and, and, so, and then at the same time, we don't want to be so, you know, sometimes you can, you can preach truth with no grace. And so you're all bold, but then there's no truth there. Or sometimes you're all grace and there's no truth. There's that tension of saying, listen, I really believe that, yeah, God did create this world. And I, I really believe that this is where we're probably going to disagree on for a long time. That doesn't mean that I don't love you. I had, this conver- I had this conversation on Friday with a friend of mine. And he said, I just think you're completely wrong. I think you're ignorant. I think you're not progressive. And he's telling me, I said, I, but this is what I believe that God has for us. And I'm not, and, and not, so don't just throw it on God almost as if like, hey, I just kind of got wrapped into this. Do you love him? Do you follow him? Because Jesus is pretty serious about this. He says, listen, um, if you deny him before men, he would deny you before the father. And denying him is not just in your words, but also in your behavior. Because when you believe in him, belief and behavior, they go together. That now his intentions and his ways of flourishing are now the church's ways. And we are witness. He left us here to be a witness, not just to what he did, but what he's doing. And obedience of faith that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, it flows from that. And so when Jesus says, listen, if, if, if you deny me before your friends, I'm going to deny you before my father. It's not like a, a, a manipulative, um, manipulative threat to kind of go, you bet. No, it's saying, listen, it, your heart is showing something. So we don't want to hide behind God, but we want to talk in a, in a conversation where we frame the question and the conversation with both truth and grace together. So again, the mission is to preach and embody Jesus. The method, or excuse me, the motivation is love. But it's not tolerance. It's love that is willing to die for people by holding out truth and grace. And lastly, it's the methods. The method of which we do it, there's three things that I have here just for that. Um, and it's not just with the homosexual community. I think it's with Christianity in general. Um, and the first thing is love well. I mentioned this last week. In my past five, six years, really researching um, and, and learning from the homosexual community and those in our congregation and Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction is what I feel like I've been convicted by is that we as Christians, m- myself, I don't love well, right? And here's what I mean by loving well. It's constantly looking to the cross and saying, okay, how did Jesus love well? Did he teach? Yes. Did he feed people? Yes. Did he care for people? Yes. But the essence, he could have taught, he could have fed, and he could have cared. If he didn't die and get out of the tomb, this is meaningless, Paul says. Close the doors, we'll do something else. But he did. And he says, this is what true friendship looks like, that one lays down his life. And so the question I'm asking myself is, am I laying down my life for my wife, for my children, and for my church? For the people in my community. Now, you can't do it for everybody the same. Uh, let's be realistic. I don't expect that everybody in this room is going to really know each other. But there should be some sense of, hey, I'm not going to rush to the next thing. Let's, let's create time for each other. Because the way that this type of love is going to be developed, it's a commitment. It's a decision to say, who are the people that are close to me that I am going to intentionally reach out to? Um, and then when you love well, I, I believe that gives us an authentic community. So, and, which we, as Christians... We have some form of community. What we have is maybe sometimes we have a Bible study, which is good, but it's a Bible study. No one really knows, like, people's names and hang, but we know scripture. Or we have, like, a community in the sense of, like, we eat together, we hang out, we watch sports together, we ride bikes together, we do cool things, but no one really knows anyone's sin or no one's pointing each other to Jesus. And, or we have, like, a social action group where we're painting things and we're building things and we're helping clean up the city, which all of those are really good. But how do we combine all those things together and say, this is what it means to be a Christian and in Christian community. When we don't have that, I think that gets in the way of our witness. Let's just start first with the homosexual community. When people desire uh, to, quote unquote, come out, there's a community for them. One of the things that my brother says is the best thing about coming out was that he now has immediate friends. The friend I was meeting with on Friday said when he moved out here to Arizona, he only knew my wife and he knew, he knew, he knew me and, and he wanted to come to our church, but he was like, I'm not really sure how the gay thing is going to work out. And I told him, hey, it's going to be good. It's going to be fine. Just show up. He never did. But within a week, he has a community and he got a job through that community. And there's, there, there's bonding there. Um, there's a community. We sometimes, when people want to walk and know in Christ, what we have is show up at 1045, show up at 9, show up at 5, show up at 7. Maybe you'll get to know some people, but it's kind of on you. And that's not good. Take it to other religions. When someone gets saved or becomes to know Jesus out of the Muslim community, they are afraid because that community is knit. Not afraid of for their lives, but they need a community. Not just someone who just kind of met him on the street and gave him a track and said, believe in Jesus, prayed a prayer, and it's like, see you later, my church is down the street. If you go, cool, right? 
fill out a card, right? They, they, they need a community. When people get saved out of um, Mormonism, there's a, there's a strong community there. And there's a, not, there's a relational ties where people are helped vocationally, relationally, socially, spiritually. And, and of all people, we should have that. And, but it starts with saying, I'm intentionally going to carve out my life for the people around me. And when people continually do that, to get to know people, to love people well, saying, I'm going to go without something. This is called selfless, sacrificial love. We look to Christ who says, I'm going to forego my, like my, my tightest community, like the Father and, and excuse me, yeah, the Father and the Spirit. Like they were tight. They've existed forever. And Jesus says, but I'm going to come and lay down my life for my friends. And that's the, the picture of loving well. So that's one of our methods. It's just being a, a, a genuine community. The second one is really simple, and it's going to seem easy, but it's just recommit your life to Christ daily and often. Um, some of us need to look ourselves in the mirror and look at God's word and say, am I living this? I mean, just simple as that. Am I a follower of Jesus? This is not questioning salvation. Am I a follower of Jesus? Do I, do I desire to be a disciple of Jesus and follow after his ways in all that I do? You have to answer that question and constantly recommit yourself. And I'm not saying that you're losing your salvation. What I'm saying by recommitting yourself is a reason why we have communion every week. It's realizing that we are constantly being washed by the currents of this world. And we need to find ourselves coming back to the Lord again and again, looking at all areas, the way we do business, the way we do relationships, the way we speak, the way we think, our private lives as well as our public life come to grips with Christ Jesus. And so it's loving well, it's recommitting ourselves. And the last one is having a comprehensive understanding of witness. A comprehensive understanding of witness. And these are the things that I've been thinking through. Is The reason why I didn't say evangelism is because what happens with evangelism, we say we're going to go out and we're going to share the gospel with people. We're going to tell people about Jesus and they're going to get saved. That is amazing and we should do that. But witness... Is, is what Paul talks about in Corinthians when he says that we are ambassadors of Christ. And you think what an ambassador is, an ambassador is someone in a foreign land that's representing um, the homeland. And so what Jesus is saying is represent what is coming, and that is a new heavens and a new earth. That means his authority, his kingship, his rule. So we are ambassadors or witness to the way that life should be. So is that preaching Christ? Absolutely. Um, is it also embodying good news? Absolutely. And so it's explicitly through words and sharing with people, thinking of the people in your life that you can share the gospel with, but it's also in the way that you raise your families, the way that you do relationship, the way that you do sports and art, that you communicate this is the way that life is headed in Jesus' name, that we are an imperfect re- reflection of who God is. And, and this is more, again, this is not only just preaching truth, but this is understanding a worldview of what God is doing and how do we live into that. And, and Kevin DeYoung has a great quote here about how creativity plays a huge part in this. And it's more than just documenting some words. Um, here's what he says. We need more creativity. Statements and petitions and manifestos have their place. But we really need is more than words. And documents. We need artists and journalists and movie makers and storytellers and spoken word artists and comedians and actors and rappers and musicians who are galvanized by the truth to sing and speak and share in such a way that makes sin look strange and righteousness looks look normal. I mean, that, that's a sh- cultural shaping. That, that those are our methods, not just to the homosexual community, but to people. And, and here's why this works, right? Um, if, if you don't understand how much art and a story and a comedian and um, uh, someone who makes a movie can shape you, uh, you're crazy, right? It, it happens easily. That, that song that I shared about Macklemore, if you just take your, you can have beliefs and values, you listen to that song and you naturally go, yeah, what's wrong with it? It's not a big deal. Man, this guy's a pretty cool rapper, right? Or, or better, last night my wife and I, we watched um, The Silver Lining Playbook. I said project last hour, and someone corrected me in the middle of it, which is perfect. I like it. Um, and the movie in itself is about a guy. If you haven't seen it, it's about a guy who uh, is married, and, and he catches his wife in an act of adultery, and he brings her to Jesus. And, no, it doesn't happen. And then he uh, catches her in, in the act of adultery. He kind of goes to the mental institution for a while, gets out after eight months, and is trying to pursue her, but she's got a, like a um, restraining order. Well, he meets this other girl who also lost her husband, and they both kind of, like, talk about medication they've been on and how they've, they've kind of been a little, you know, crazy a little bit. And, um, nor, all right, take me out of that movie. My beliefs, my logical thinking, my values that are shaped by the worldview that I have. 
If a person would have come to me, Christian or not, and said, hey, here's my story. My wife cheated on me. I went to this deal for eight months. I'm out now. I'm still married. I'm wearing a wedding ring. I want to do whatever it takes to win my wife back um, so that I want to forgive her and that we can be in a relationship together. But there's this other girl who I'm drawn to. I have emotions for her. She's fun. We run together. It's pretty cool. Um, Which one should I pursue? Ten out of ten times, I'm like, bro, go to your wife. If you can forgive your wife, then go to your wife. However... By the end of the movie, when he, go for the crazy girl. You guys should be together. Forget your wife. Who cares? He cheated on you. Right? And it's like, I'm, at, I'm like almost in tears. Like, oh, he made the right decision. Right? And then the movie goes up and I looked at Holly. I'm like, I, I wouldn't have said that in real life though. You know? And, 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 and that's just a point of what DeYoung is saying. That, that painted a picture for me to see that wasn't beautiful or true in my worldview, and yet I was moved by it. If we have people that understand the gospel, understand the worldview of Christ, that are able to make a picture, not just a movie, but in all of their totality, their gifts and talents and and, and relationships and words that paint a picture that makes sin just seem unnatural, but then righteousness seem beautiful, people can begin to think. Now, those are not explicit. They'll get saved, but it helps shape a culture. And so, just, just to kind of wrap up what we've been saying so far, we'll answer these questions, is, is first, our mission is just to proclaim and embody Jesus, not to win arguments. We want to love him. We, we understand that we are sinners saved by grace, and so therefore we respond in that. Our, our methods, or excuse me, our motive is love, and love in itself is truth and grace wrapped together. And then and lastly, our methods is to love each other well and give an example of what biblical community looks like. And, and then the second thing in, in that for us is to constantly, individually recommit our lives to Christ. And lastly, is to understand that we are witnessing of the kingdom that is coming. We are a witness to that um, in all that we do. Amen? What, what I want to do now is transition now and uh, answer, try to answer some of these questions. Um, and they're going to come up on the screen. And um, they're going to come up on the screen. In a world where Christians are seen as countercultural, how can we reach out to the homosexual community who sees us as sexist, chauvinistic, judgment, judgmental people? Uh, real, real quick, these are questions you guys emailed in. Um, and some of you emailed them in today. And, and you know, even though it passed the deadline, we, we let you in. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you pass. <laughs> um, here's what I would say about that, just real short on that. Um, like, love people well and engage in conversations without being, without being judgmental. Um, judgmental and disagreeing are two different things. And people aren't going to always see that. And so when I talk to even my brother, who I love, he goes, man, I feel like you're judging me. I'm not, no, I'm not, I feel like you're judging me. Like, it's, it's like if you tell me, you know, I feel like if you tell me I can't say that, I mean, like, at some level we, we do butt heads. And so all I have to say is no matter how, we could be really loving, and I think sometimes we do go, man, we've been bad as Christians. We have, but I mean, that doesn't mean that we're not trying. And I, and I would say to the majority of the people in our congregation, I do think that we are trying to, to work, have a, an ethic of love. But just realize, um, don't try not to be those things. Try to be and follow Christ, and you won't be those things, right? And um, you, even if you do that, people are still going to not like you. Like, let's be honest. We went through First Peter as the last book. Peter was very clear. A day is coming, and he's talking to this audience, where you're just going to live with countercultural people. We're there now. For a long time, our country has been consistent, for the most part, with Judeo-Christian theistic worldviews. Um, that day's gone. It's gone. And it's, like, like rapidly losing its, its, uh, its ground. Slower for us here in Arizona, because it's, it's more of a conservative political state, um, but it, it, it's going. And so that's why to recommit yourself to Jesus, you have to constantly remind yourself, um, you are just not a, a, an Arizonian, an American, though you are, but you, you belong first and foremost to Christ. There's a dual citizenship of which you have, and you're ambassadors of Christ. And as you live that countercultural life, there's going to be certain things we do that are just going to be, that they're just going to look stupid. And, and they're going to look um, selfish, and they're, they're going to look cruel to people around us. And, um, and you just constantly have to just try to build relationships um, with people. Next question. How would you respond to someone who says that they are a committed Christian, but they are in a same-sex relationship and don't show signs that they want to repent? 
Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, a little nervous twitch. Um, I usually rip my fingers off when I get nervous. This is what I've said, and here's what I will say. I will ask them to lovingly repent. In the same way that I should be asked to lovingly repent when I am living uh, inconsistent with the scripture. Um, I don't go out and question their salvation. Or they, they must not be a Christian. Because there's plenty of us in this room that are doing things that we have not repented of. And you love Jesus and you need to repent. Um, however, there are plenty of people in this world and some that, that I'm sure go to this church that, that, um, that don't interpret the scriptures to say that homosexuality and practicing, hom- excuse me, practicing homosexuality is a sin. Um, and honestly, that's the hardest for me. That's just, that's just the hardest. A homosexual community that does not believe in God, easy. Easy for me. They don't, they don't believe in God, and, and, and there's, like, we're just going to start with Jesus, right? Um, people in our congregation, friends of mine that struggle with same-sex attraction and a sex, sexual orientation and so forth, and they, um, but they believe in Jesus, and they're just trying to figure it out, and they, they struggle here and there, and they fail sometimes. Man, I feel, like I, like I feel for them. Like I really, like... Um, there's just a feel there. Um, but those who believe in Jesus and hold to the authority of Scripture and say that for 2,000 years the church has misinterpreted this and for us to teach that practicing homosexuality is abusive, I don't know what to do then. Because once we take away what the Bible has said and has always said then, um, then I'm, I don't know what to say. So that, but there are plenty of, plenty of people uh, like that, and plenty of uh, even theologians that are trying to take that bent. I don't believe it's biblical, and I think it's hard. Here's why I think it's harmful. This is, I gotta be a pastor, you guys. Here's why I think it's harmful. is because when Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he says, you're making, you're making people twice converts of hell, what he's saying is, you are preaching in such a way where it's very, very truthful, but there's no grace in it. And if there's no grace in it, if there's no understanding of what true obedience looks like, then you're harming them. And I think that men and women who are getting up and teaching and saying, this is no longer sin anymore. You guys are ridiculous. Come on, be more progressive. What you're doing is like, no, we don't get to make the rules. At the cross, no one gets to do what they want to do. We all submit to Christ. Um, And so that's far more towards teachers of that, not people who are submitting to that teaching. There's a way more of a gracious mentality in that. So I think you walk alongside them, and we all have friends. We, many of us have friends like that. As a committed Christian, what should our response be to our great friends, partners, celebrations, adoptions, and weddings? Let's just keep getting all the easy questions up there. Um, <laughs> here's, here's what I would say about that. That's a conscience one, all right? I know some of you guys aren't going to like that, because some of you are going, tell them never to go to anything, and always go. Um, listen, if someone, you know, because me and Holly have this conversation, right? So Eventually, you get that same-sex marriage in every state or whatnot. And then my brother says, hey, I'm going to get married. I want you to come to the wedding. Well, will we go, right? All right. You want to know? You can talk to me afterwards. But here's what I would say about, about, about that is I think it's a conscious decision um, because you have, to, you have to wrestle personally. What we need to understand in all of these questions is it's wisdom and discernment, meaning where the Bible is silent, God is silent, so proceed with wisdom. Some of it is very explicit. Other times you're going, is it? Like, I want the relationship with this person, and I want to walk with this person and love this person, so would I go? Would I not go? Would I take pictures of this wedding? Would I, you know, enjoy their kids? It's, it's kind of like when um, someone has a baby and they're not married. You go, oh, get away from that baby. I might catch it, right? And you just kind of go like, <laughs> pick the baby up. Love the baby. Kiss the baby. Dedicate the baby. Next week. So, I think, I think that... That question is, um, it's a discernment. And so here's what I mean by that. Just this past week, there's someone who I really respect and has been a Christian for 40 plus years whose son is openly gay. And he's, I mean, it's like the most, honestly, the most conservative Christian I know. <laughs> and he says, no, me and my wife are definitely going to the wedding. We're, we're going to go to this ceremony thing. And we don't think that it's something that's honoring God, but we love him. And, um, and we want this relationship to continue. And that's where we're going to go, where somebody else equally as mature said, no, you shouldn't. And they're kind of crashing heads on that. And that's the things as Christians, we're going to, you know, that's what it means to be missionaries. We're constantly asking questions and we need wisdom and discernment. So where does that come from? It comes from the wisdom literature. So like the Psalms, it comes from Proverbs, it comes from the Holy Spirit, and it comes from each other. Like go to community and be, be willing to say, no, I don't agree with that, or be willing to, be, to hear that. So that's a tough one, but it, it's a decision um, that you have to have a conscience. And sometimes it has to be made before, 
make it before you get there. That's why we're doing it right now, because we want to say, Lord, we didn't just let the moment dictate us. Oh, yeah, me too. I, I agree. I agree with Pastor Ricardo's statement that to be same-sex attracted in the church is extremely lonely. So my, so my question is, is there a way for those of us with same-sex attraction to meet each other and lessen the loneliness? Sorry, I got my clock on me. Um, uh, can I, um, real quick. Years ago, my wife and I and a few other couples started a group where we wanted to get all the people in our ministry that were um, struggling with taboo sins. We'd be cutting um, people who were former, uh, like, like strippers and um, people who struggled with prescription drugs and sold prescription drugs and um, practiced homosexuality and kind of said, we need a place for them to, like, at least not be lonely. And, and we thought, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to eat and have fun and do all these things together. Here's what ended up happening. Not to say this will always happen. What we realized is we introduced all these people to each other, and the people who were struggling with buying drugs met people who were struggling with selling them. And then the people, right, and so forth. And we're looking at each other like, what do we do, right? Um, and that, that doesn't mean that that happens all the time. Here's what I would say. Back to that again. It's lonely, guys. And majority of my emails from people who do struggle with same-sex attraction, like, you have no idea how lonely it is, and I, lonely it is, and I don't. My wife was out of town um, two weeks ago, and it was just me and Noah at the house, which is fun for a while, but then when, when Noah went to sleep, and I wanted to just sit there and talk, I was like, man, my wife is not here. Um, that's way different, not just even emotionally, but like, when you feel like there's something I really want to talk about, and I have no one to tell. So, the only place right now we have for this that I think is healthy, that's already set up, is redemption they're called Exodus Redemption Groups. Tim Anderson leads them up. Um, they're phenomenal leaders. They, they have, and it's just not homosexuality. It's just people with sin in general. And every person from this congregation, from the Gateway Congregation, the people in Seattle who created it, everyone who goes through it thinks it's the best place, it's a safe place to just work out issues, not just this one. That's the only place right now I think is the, is the best place we have for now. It's something we're working through. I don't think, I mean, and I know not to lighten this question. I'm not trying to say that you should never be introduced to people. I just don't know always um, what's the, I don't know what the best place for that is yet. Um, and we're still trying to figure that out because there has been cases where people who talk about their struggle, their same-sex attraction struggle, talk to somebody else, and they go, I, I also have the same-sex attraction struggle. They talk to each other, and there's the potential of, um, of that going further in places that, that they shouldn't go to. So, how do you feel about openly homosexual Christians who abstain from sexual interaction in order to avoid the sexual immorality of homosexuality, leaving just an emotional, spiritual relationship? I spoke with a church leader at, the, at a Christian university who reported that they had people in their congregation do that. It's a mouthful. Um, so that's saying emotional and spiritual relationship. And what do you say about avoiding? Okay, so the question is essentially saying, okay, if, I'm a, if I have a same-sex attraction of orientation and I don't want to engage in physical relationship because I don't want to sin. However, I do want an emotional connection. Is it okay to have an emotional connection and a spiritual connection? Another Christian leader has said it's okay. Well, again, wisdom and discernment. So let me, let me try to out loud, I'm an out loud, out loud processor, um, say this. First, look at the Bible and say, were there any relationships in the Bible that were emotional or spiritual? Well, we'd say all of them in Christ Jesus, all of us should have some sort of spiritual connection. All right. What about emotional? Well, the, the clearest example to me is, uh, is in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel when you have um, Saul and David. They were like boys. They were, they were friends. There was, an, there was a, con, a covenant. They used the word hased, which is that Hebrew word for covenant that we would all, all, all times use for marriage. But what they were saying is, we are together in this. Another relationship is Ruth and Naomi. That's usually read at weddings, and it's, it's weird because um, it had nothing to do with the wedding. But uh, it, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Like, we are in this together. And so you have these relationships of a, of a woman and a woman and a man and a man. However... They were not heterosexual, uh, excuse me, homosexual relationships, but they were love. So what I would say is this. You, if you enter into an emotional relationship, anybody, it, it, it's harm, it could be harmful. If a married man has an emotional relationship with anyone, never good. Anyone outside of his, of his, of his uh, with another, another woman outside of his marriage, never good. Same way with the woman. If you are struggling with same-sex attraction and you are with a, heterose- you're with a friend of yours who's heterosexual, but you want an emotional attraction, here's why this gets 
um, this gets dangerous. When the Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter, chapter 6, verse 27, it says, if you put hot coals in your lap, you're going to get burned. You are setting that person up for failure and yourself because it's naturally going to lead to some sort of attraction. If you both have same-sex attraction, you are putting hot coals in your lap. And so in one way, with the, if you have a same-sex attraction and the person who doesn't, um, it, it, it just gets hard. Here's where I would say that a pers- this person needs is not just a person. We are not incomplete without having certain relationships. We are completed in Christ. And the way that we are completed in Christ is not only just believing in Christ, but being in biblical community. What we need as a church is to be able to be more um, loving in ways that people who do struggle with these are loved. And sometimes that is touch, by the way, as men. It's hugging other men. It's giving them hugs. It's caring for them. It's using language like, I love you because you love them. And so it's loving each other in very non-sexual ways. So I would say the wisdom in that is the emotional. I would not, I would not ever say, hey, get an emotional relationship. I, I don't think it's helpful for you or the person or flourishing. So uh, this is the last, qu- last question. For our brothers and sisters who struggle with same-sex attraction, how can we as Christians love through community? What practical uh, ways to discuss struggles and be supportive without singling them out, making one struggle with sin to be the only focus of discipleship conversations. Um, first, it's, it's on two different people here. It's on the people who have this, the same sex attraction to um, be able to talk openly with some people, one person, not everybody. Um, and, um, and then it's on the community when they do know to be able to lovingly embrace them and realize it's not just the only issue. So it should be talked about, but it shouldn't be the only thing that's talked about. We all have issues. And I don't think that anything should be singled out. And I think that's what the question is saying. We don't want to single them out. But part of that is, is it's okay for you to have homo, um, people who struggle with different things in your group that everybody in the community doesn't know about. I don't think that we need to, you know, um, bring someone and, you know, hey, the guys, this is such and such. And, you know, well, he's a crackhead. And, um... We love them, though, right? Anything else you want to tell them? No, like, that, like that, that wouldn't be good. But if, if somebody else in the community knows, like, hey, I struggle with some addictions with drugs and whatnot, and the, the, some people know, then, then I think you can love that person better, and it's, it's just, it's there, and it's not telling that person's story. And, um, and that, to me, is it. I don't think everybody needs to know everyone's sin. That's not what we're saying. I do think that some people need to know, and the right people need to know. How do I know if it's the right people? People who you, you look up to and you know will be honest with you. Sometimes you have, a, you know, the girl and the girl say, hey, I'm struggling with this in my relationship with my boyfriend. And the other girl goes, oh, me too. And it's like all grace but no truth. It's like, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too, right? And that's like the extent of that relationship as opposed to someone, you know, like, oh, I don't really want to tell this person, but I know I need to. That's when you know it's the right person. Um, that person that's going to be loving and yet is also going to come with truth um, even when you don't want it. That's a part of it is, you know, you don't want truth. You don't, you don't, you don't, we don't, it's not something we, we constantly want. Um, and so when the conversations, when someone does tell you, by the way, if you're being told by a friend of yours, first thing you say is thank you. They are trusting, they are entrusting something that's very, very precious to you. And that is like usually the deepest thing that they have. And so when they say, hey, here's something I've been struggling with. Hey, thank you. What, what, how can I love you? How can I come alongside you? And not in our normal rawa. How can I, I'm going to be there for you forever. Uh, and, and you know, like, you've already put a job application into North Carolina, right? And it's like, thank you. How can I care for you? And how can I help you grow? And then, here's some, and then, and then be willing. By the way, that's not mine, and I'm not going to say that. That's my struggle. But here's my struggle. Can you help me with this? Uh, all right? I think, I think, I think that, that, was, that was the last question, um, but I'm going to do this anyway because it, it came up last hour. Is it, and I'm going to do it really short. Sorry, guys. But the marriage thing. The question was, how do you define Christian marriage? It's what we defined last week. It's between a man and a woman in covenantal relationship, um, committed to each other and emotionally, socially, psychologically, spiritually. Um, that's the view. Our view on marriage will always be shaped by theology. Will our world change and will our country change? Absolutely. But we have to be consistent with the scripture, consistent with the view that God has given us for human flourishing. And so we walk in that. That doesn't mean that we don't care for the rights of people. That doesn't mean that we, just because we disagree with someone, doesn't mean that we don't love them and don't think we don't work towards end to help people holistically. Um, marriage is not the church's. It's God's. And it's something that um, we walk in in faith, understanding that our culture is changing around us, and it's going to be very hard for us as parents and as people of Christ to raise 
raise children to even have these discussions. But in short, um, the biblical view of marriage, excuse me, the Christian view, not the biblical view. Here's why I say this. There's a lot of biblical examples of marriage that are not good. The Christian view of marriage, as we see in the New Testament, is between a man and a woman. And we also see this from Genesis to Revelation. It is a picture of the gospel of Christ and his church. And so when we live that out, and you say, well, what can I do in the, in the thing of gay marriage? What's the best thing I can do in this argument in gay marriage? Um, have a good marriage. You, that you will be married. Like, have a really good marriage. And those of you who are single, you, you could do what you already do. And our singles do a good job at coming alongside our marriages, though they themselves are not married, want to be or may not want to be. I think that's a picture of, of community. And so that's something that, that we can walk through. And, and um, that, But that's our theology has to shape all of the things that we do, including what we view as marriage. Amen? No more questions. No more emails. Next week, 28 to 32, and we're moving. When we get to predestination and election, it's going to be like, this is easy compared to what we did in chapter 1. <laughs> So let's pray.